Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. Um, I don't know if any of you guys out there, well, first of all, welcome to Grace. Um, Any of you guys who are visiting with us this morning, uh, we are grateful to have you. I want to welcome all of you to Grace Community this morning. But back to what I was going to say, I don't know if any of you guys out there struggle with sin like me. Any of you guys struggle with sin? All right. All right. I was hoping you guys would raise your hand. Um, I want to encourage you guys with something that I read this past week about the gospel. It says, the gospel is not only the means by which we are saved, but is also the means by which we are sanctified. If we think we are saved by grace, but sanctified by our own efforts, we fall into error. Sanctification is as much a work of God as justification. The promise we have from Scripture is that he who began a good work in us will complete it until the day of redemption. So guys, this morning, um, if, you're, if you're discouraged because if you're like me, you struggle with particular sin that just kind of, it's lifelong, it plagues you, um, we have hope and power in Christ this morning, not in our own efforts, but through Christ we can overcome. And um, if you guys would stand, I want to read a passage from Hebrews chapter 10. If you want to open your Bibles with me, Hebrews chapter 10. Verses 11 through 25. Listen to what the Lord has done for us. It says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. Listen to this. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their hand, on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider, let us consider this morning, how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, that we have a direct connect to you through Jesus Christ this morning, Lord. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Thank you for the grace that you've given to us to live and walk with you each and every day. Father, our prayer is that this morning everything that's said and done and heard would be an honor and glory to you and will be edifying to us, Lord. We ask that you'd be with Bob as he brings your word this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can remain standing, guys. Thank you. Good morning. Here to worship this morning. I know, along with uh, what Kevin was talking about, I was reading in 2 Timothy where Paul was uh, uh, was telling Timothy that you know he needed that uh, he was that, that that 
Paul was suffering and that uh, Timothy is called to suffer as well. But he says, but I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of my calling in Christ. And, then, and what he said, he says, but I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is, uh, he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. So, God, so Paul was not ashamed. Are you ashamed this morning? I hope you're not. If you were ashamed, you wouldn't be here, I believe. So I'm just glad that, that you're here today. And let's, uh, let's sing that together. I know whom I have believed.
singing this morning. And I ask you to remain standing. I want you to sing with us. We're going to sing with the CD, but I want you to sing with us on Jesus' sakes.
We have a guest speaker today, and he's familiar to us, most of us at least. Bob Waldrop is here to talk to us about I do not know what. <laughs> but I know it's going to be good. I've known Bob many years. I remember when he was working in Watchman Fellowship years ago. And then he established a new ministry, Crosswinds, that uh, I didn't really understand at the time uh, why it was needed, but I sure do now. Um, with all the assaults on Christianity that we see in the media today, we need to counter that. And that's what Bob's ministry is about. I could tell you some embarrassing stories about Bob, but actually I don't know any. <laughs> and the reason is because when you get older, you tend to forget those things. But uh, I invite you to come, Bob, and refresh our memories. Thank you, Steve. <coughs> the throne is occupied and the tomb is empty and proclaims Jesus saves. What a great song that was, wasn't it? <laughs> Choir, thank you so much. Ron, fantastic. I don't even know if I need to, to preach or not, but I'm going to. Because I haven't been here in a while. I haven't been here since 2019, in fact. And I've accumulated a lot to say over two years. So I'm glad that when I was asked to do this, <coughs> they had told me they would extend the service. <laughs> he said, just go as long as you want to. Don't worry about it. People will stay. They want to. And then he told me to turn the lights out when I left. <laughs> so I don't know what that meant. Good morning. I am so glad to be here. Aren't you glad to be here? Isn't it great? It's great to be here. It's good to see all of you. Um, this has been a crazy year and however many months now, eight, nine months, hasn't it? I mean, we've gone through a lot of different things. We've seen things that we never thought we would see. People are doing things we never thought they would do. I mean, men, I, I don't get this, men are growing their hair out and growing beards. <laughs> what is that all about? I don't get it. Sometimes I feel like I'm in like a, a casting for a Civil War movie or something. Do y'all feel that way? And I guess Barry Hearn was actually ahead of his time. He's always, he was, he was built for the pandemic, wasn't he? I specifically asked not to let Barry introduce me because he does have embarrassing stories. <laughs> and I didn't want to hear them again. <laughs> I've heard them too many times. If you have your Bibles, let's open up to Luke uh, chapter 11. One of the things that I have noticed during these past many months is it seems like we've been confronted with more choices than ever. Do you feel that way? You feel like you've, you know, do I wear a mask, not wear a mask? Do I go in this store, not go in this store? Do I go get groceries or do I pick groceries up? You know, do I go to church or not go to church? Do I YouTube or Facebook? Do I Zoom or Skype? <laughs> you know, 
we, we've been making all kinds of decisions, all kinds of choices. And there's a, a choice that we really need to talk about, though, as far as uh, who you're going to choose. Who, who are you going to choose? Who, who are you going to choose to partner with, to, to be with? Uh, you know, one of the uh, hardest things I think we probably experienced as the church is trying to reignite. You, you know what I mean by reignite? Pre-pandemic, we had everything clicking, didn't we? We had missions programs, we had youth programs, we had kids programs, we had music programs, and it was a smooth operating machine. Maybe hit some hiccups every once in a while. But now we're trying to figure out how to do that again, aren't we? How do we get back to where we were? I think a lot of times we thought that, you know, this will be over in a few months or maybe it's a year, but as soon as it's over, people will just come back and everything will be, quote, normal. But that hasn't proved to be true, has it? Because we have all these other choices we could make now. So let's just get back to the primary choice we need, we need to make, the who. That choice needs to be right. Who are you going to choose? Who am I going to choose? <clears throat> I went back and, to the well-known theologian Bob Dylan. And I said, what would Bob have to say about this? You know? So I scoured his tomes and I read his material and I searched out his music and he said, you got to serve somebody. You're going to have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're going to have to serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. Well, of course, Bob Dylan isn't a theologian. I know that. He's a musician, a songwriter from way back in the 60s forward. But around the 70s, early 70s, Bob Dylan, who was raised as a Jew, said that he had a conversion to Christ, that he had received Christ. Now, I don't know if he really did or not. That's not for us to debate. But he, he published or, or, or produced a Christian album. And this is one of the songs that was on it. Uh, Van and I were talking before the service about how we still like to go back and listen to some of that old music. But one of the very simple, simple words, a simple message, but it rings oh so true. you got to serve somebody. And the way he puts it here is quite biblical. He reduced it down to two options. It can be the devil. It can be the Lord. If you don't believe in the devil and the Lord, you can say it can be good. It can be evil. It can be positive. It can be negative. But the reality is there is a dividing force, and every one of us have to make a choice which side we fall on. Who are you going to choose? Now, <clears throat> Jesus, in Luke 14, 
Verse 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple, my follower. Whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Wow. That seems pretty strong, doesn't it? Is that the uh, gospel that we present? Huh? Our gospel goes something like this. If you died tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? Well, I don't know. Not sure. Would you like to know? Well, sounds pretty good. Wouldn't you like to go to heaven? Or would you choose hell? Well, <laughs> I would choose heaven, obviously. And then we tell them about Jesus. Now, look, you and I probably came to Christ through such a presentation. I'm not saying, okay, let's don't ever share the gospel in that way. But oftentimes, as we begin our walk of faith, what is our motivation? I'm making it to heaven. Okay? I'm going to get to heaven. But the gospel is about being in relationship with Christ from that moment on. And we get this marvelous benefit of heaven as well. But Jesus did not come to get me in heaven. Jesus came to get me in relationship with my creator, with him. And then he says, and by the way, Bob, that person who told you you'd get heaven, you will. But I want to use you now. You see, you made a choice to get to heaven. But that choice involves choosing me on earth as well. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, and wife, and children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his own cross, and your cross to carry, guys, is not your mother-in-law. It's not what that means. It means death. It's an instrument of death. It means suffering. It means pain, a willingness to do that. Now, let's unpack this real quick. Is Jesus saying to hate your family? Is he saying, get up every morning and tell your wife, I hate you? Oh, gosh, I hate you with a passion. Staying with you, but I hate you. Of course not. Put it in the context. In that day, for a Jew to choose Jesus... It meant he was choosing Jesus over his family. His family would alienate him. It meant he was giving up all of his possessions because he would no longer have an inheritance because he received Jesus. It meant mama saying, well, you must hate me following that Jesus guy. You hate me, don't we? Why do you hate us so much? In Matthew chapter 10, he states it this way. If anyone comes to me, you must love me more than you love your mother, your father, wife, children, brothers, sisters. If it comes down to you have to choose between me and Ron, you'd do well to choose me. 
Just a little bit before this, Jesus told those listening to him, don't fear the one who has the authority and the power to kill the body. Fear the one who can kill the body and the soul. If you're going to fear someone, fear God, not man. Okay, so you're probably thinking, wow, this is really a downer. <laughs> you know, this message is going way down. This is tough. It's hard. Well, I just want us to get the context for what we're going to look at in chapter 11. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 14 through 36. And we're going to talk about this, who are you going to choose? And if you're taking notes, I'm going to go ahead and give you all five points right now. You ready? We're going to talk about the fact that there are options presented for our choosing. You don't have to choose Jesus. There's another choice available. Now, not as good a result, <laughs> but if that's what you want to choose, you can. It's there. There can be no compromise in our choosing. No waffling. There can be no pretense in our choosing. And the response that we make must be a faithful response. And then finally, there must be evidence of our choosing. Okay? Let's walk through this real, real quick. Luke chapter 11, uh, pick it up at verse 14. It says, And he, Jesus, was casting out a demon, and it was dumb, mute, and it came about that when the demon had gone out, the dumb man or the mute began to speak, and the multitudes marveled. But some of them said he cast out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. Or in other words, they're using that as Satan. He, he's casting them out by the power and authority of Satan. And others to test him were demanding of him a sign from heaven. Now, there's two really stupid things done here. First of all, well, I think he's doing it by the power of Satan. And Jesus is going to take him to task on that and show him why that's a, a, a dumb thing to say or a stupid thing to say. But then the other is they said, well, could you show us a sign? Well, what, what was that? That, you know, Jesus is, love. Jesus is so much better than I am, obviously. Because I just said, well, were you watching? <laughs> hey, fella, mute, <laughs> former mute, come over here just a second. Let us see this. Speak up. But keep in mind, at the point we are in Luke, Jesus is already, I love the way Matthew put it, he has set his face toward Jerusalem. He was already on his way to Jerusalem. He was already committed to the cross. He was closing in on the cross. He's already going there. Most of his ministry is over at this point. And during the course of that ministry, if you go back and read the New Testament, here are a few things you're going to find out. Jesus had healed lame people. Jesus had healed mutes. He had healed the deaf. He had healed the blind. He had even raised from the dead. Luke tells a story just a little bit earlier that Jesus is going through town. The disciples are with him. The, the, the crowds are with him, and, and they're walking in there, and they get to the crossroad, and they look, and here comes a funeral procession, motorcycle with the lights on. <laughs> Whoop, got to stop, let the funeral get by. So they stop, and here comes the funeral, and it says Jesus observes there was a widow crying 
her only son was laying on the, the casket, as we would call it. And so Jesus says, hold on just a minute. He walks over to the dead son, the body. He says, get up. And he rises up. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and you're asking for a sign? Now, that's what I would have done. I would have given a whole list of things I've done. Here, let me just go. Let me review all the things that I've done. What sign could I give you that would surpass all that? Now, I don't know about you, but I can't think of anything. I got to believe those would have been good enough for me. You know? If the who you were going to choose was a guy that stepped up in front of the funeral I was attending went up to the casket, opened it up, and said, get up, and that person got up. I'd go, oh, I'm down with him, you know. Show us a sign. Well, here's Jesus' response. Verse 17. He knew their thoughts and said to them, any kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. A house divided against itself falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how shall his kingdom stand? For say that I cast out demons by Beelzebub. And if by Beelzebub I'm casting out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? You see, the Pharisees also cast out demons. And so Jesus said, well, if I'm doing it by Beelzebub, who are you doing it by? Okay? I could just as easily say you're doing it by Beelzebub. In fact, Beelzebub's just in the business of defeat himself. You know? Beelzebub's gone to war with himself. Verse 20, but if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now, this is very interesting, this phrase, the finger of God. It's only used one other time in the scriptures. And it's used in the Old Testament. And it's used when Moses is trying to get the children of Israel out. Remember the story? And Pharaoh, he'd go up to him and Jesus would perform some miracle, and then Pharaoh would call in his magicians, and they would replicate it. Finally, he gets to one where it calls all these locusts and everything in there. Pharaoh says, all right, guys, come on in. Brings his magicians in. They said, go ahead and do it. They said, we cannot do that. This is obviously the finger of God. In other words, they said, this is done by God. You want a sign? Even Pharaoh's magicians could recognize when God was doing something. You're not realizing that, he said. <clears throat> if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. The kingdom of God is here. When a strong man, fully armed... Guards his own homestead, his possessions are undisturbed. But when someone stronger than he attacks him and overpowers him, he takes away from him all his armor on which he has relied and distributes his plunder. How many of you lock your doors at night? Everybody? Or even during the day, maybe, <laughs> you know. Why do you do that? Because there might be somebody more powerful than you out there. If you were convinced you were the biggest, baddest dude in the world, you wouldn't lock your doors, would you? 
You say, come on, I'm the biggest, baddest dude. Nobody take my stuff, I'm here. But we all think somebody's bigger and badder than us. And so Jesus is saying, it's not enough to have a strong man. You gotta have the strongest man who is there. Now we're gonna pick up on this, but you got any ideas who the strongest man is? Who are you going to choose? Are you going to choose what the world offers? Or are you going to choose me? Not Bob me, Jesus. You're going to choose Jesus. Now, <clears throat> did you notice the choices they offered here? Jesus did something that the crowd said, wow. It says they marvel. It's incredible. But some in the crowd said, ah, that ain't nothing. That's, that's Beelzebub doing that. Does that ever happen in our culture today? We're out there, God's doing something, and other people are saying, ah, that's just coincidence. It's just chance. Old Larry did that. You know, that was him. That's Pharaoh's magicians that did it. Jesus says, there's the true choice and there's the false choice. There's the choice that is simply being replicated by man and there's the choice that is the finger of God. Now, I don't know about you, but that tomb being empty, to me, is the finger of God. No one else can do that. Well, <clears throat> There's options that will be presented to us. So when we choose our next point, there can be no compromise. Verse 23. He who is not with me is against me, and he do, who does not gather with me scatters. See, the fact that you, you choose the right option, and if you choose me, then you got to be with me. Oh, I'm kind of with you. You know, there's certain things I like about what you're doing. I'm, I'm, all, I'm all in on those. Yeah. Like them, love them. Now, that other thing over here, I don't know about that. You know? Even in our Christian walk, aren't we still making choices? Or is it just me? Is it still I have to look at things and say, like Kevin said, Kevin said, you have sin in your life? If you have sin in your life, that means we're choosing sin sometimes, right? <laughs> you know, we're still, we're still dealing with options in our life. And so Jesus is saying, I want you all in. I want you all in. There's, there's no neutrality. I can't help but think in, in World War II, you know, Switzerland was neutral in the war, if you, you know your history. I often wonder, what, what were they thinking? If the Germans won... Look at what the Germans had done to everybody. <laughs> Do you think the Germans would have then said, oh, well, we can't mess with you guys. You're, you're neutral. We, we ain't going to bother anybody who's neutral. You see, there was a lot riding on the fact that they believed that they could be neutral. I can't be neutral. You can't be neutral. It doesn't mean I won't fail. But my position can't be one of neutrality. When there's a debate going on in the public forum about who Jesus is and whether he is the finger of God or if he's doing this by Beelzebub, I can't remain silent. I can't say, well, I don't really know. I'm kind of neutral. 
in this. You get that? We got choices, but you can't be neutral. You got to make a choice one way or the other. Doesn't mean you'll always make the right decision. Doesn't mean you'll never fail. But you can't stand back and say, I'm not really sure on this one. I'm neutral. I understand we disagree on how certain portions of Scripture should be interpreted. But we have to take a position one way or the other, don't we? And then we try to work through it. I just can't say, I'm neutral. I'm not really sure, so I'm going to be neutral in this position. When we choose Jesus, we are all in. I do a lot of work with military veterans. Recently, we've been interviewing a a lot of parents who lost their sons and daughters in war. Tragic losses. And not all of them were the best soldiers that you could be. But every one of them was all in. You see the difference? Just because you're not the best soldier you can be doesn't mean you're not all in. When you put the uniform on, you are all in. You're in. You're in until they let you out. Okay? In the military. So you're all in doesn't mean you'll be perfect in your missions so we're all in in our choosing next point there can be no pretense no pretending in our choosing you ever met pretend believers or at least you think they're pretend believers <laughs> you know uh, look, look at this this next portion verse 24 When the unclean spirit goes out of a man, it passes through waterless places, seeking rest and not finding any. It says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it swept and put in order. Then it goes and takes along seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. Now, look at the picture here. There's a man who's demon-possessed, and for whatever reason, the demon leaves. And so he comes to himself. He says, wow, this is great. And he just goes about his business. Ah, wonderful. Fine. And then it says the demon's traveling around, and it says, golly, I think I'm going to go back to old old Tom's house. That was a good place. I'm I'm going to go back there and check in. See how things are. And he gets back and he says, I cannot believe this. I left Tom and he hadn't put anything in my place. It's empty. Wide open. Available. The sign's out front. For let. For rent. Come on. Well, this is too good to pass up. I'm going to go back and get some of the buddies I met on my wanderings. So he goes back and he finds some more demons and he brings them back. He says, you're going to love this place. I can't believe Tom didn't fill it up. It's just vacant. So they go back and it says it's worse than before. It's not enough just to clean yourself up. You got to have something in there. I've often seen Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses being led out of the Mormon church, a false church, or out of the Jehovah's Witnesses, a false organization. 
People have let them out by proving to them they're in a false organization, showing them the documentation, proving it to them. And they go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I've been tricked, I've been deceived by this organization, getting out. And they get out. Now, while they were in the organization, they were respectable, clean-appearing people. You know, you'd find they didn't drink, didn't smoke, didn't chew, didn't cuss. You know, were all about the mission of the church, reaching people for their church. And then they come out, and now they have nothing, and suddenly they become alcoholics. You know, they live riotous lives. Their family breaks up. Because the thing that they really needed was to be filled with the right choice, Jesus. You get that analogy? They're empty. They had a form of religion that was removed, but they didn't embrace the finger of God. They didn't see that. So they're just empty. And they're worse off than they were before. It was better that they had the Mormon, quote, demon, or the Jehovah's Witness demon, if you want to look at it that way, than to be emptied out and have all of these other things come into their life. There can be no pretense in our faith. God sees through our pretense. We can't simply hide behind and depend upon our good deeds, nor is it sufficient to simply have an appearance of being around Jesus. If you want to look back when you have time and read that passage in Luke 13 or Matthew 7, here's what Jesus says. There's going to come a day when the owner is going to get up and shut the door. And when he shuts the door, nobody else can come in. And there are going to be those who come up to the door and say, Hey! Woo! I think you won't let me in. I know the door's shut, but ooh, I, I, you left me out. Well, I don't know who you are. Oh, oh, yeah. You know, you came through my town. I was a guy that said, Whoa, Jesus! Woo! Love what you're doing. Love it. Keep on. You remember that, don't you? You saw me. And I told my buddy, I said, man, this guy's really got something. You heard him? Woo. And Jesus says, nope, never knew you. Another guy, whoa, 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 hold on. Now, wait a minute, I'm a good guy. I know you saw all the good things that I've done. No, nope. saw him, but it doesn't matter. It's about who you chose. You didn't choose. You didn't go all in. You just pretended. Wow. I hope none of us in this room are pretending. If we are, go back to point one. Two options. Consider them. Choose the one that's the finger of God. No pretense. But then he goes on, and verse 27 says that it came about while he said these things, one of the women in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. Now, why would she say that? And what, does that what does that mean? 
Oh, blessed are your mother, blessed is she. Wow, she's great. Look what Jesus says to that. Verse 28, he said, on the contrary, blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. She wasn't expressing anything about the word of God, was she? And observing it. After all that she had seen and heard, this is what she came up with. Your mama must be so proud of you. <laughs> I bet she would say, that's my boy. No. It's not about the mama that birthed the finger of God. It's about the finger of God. <clears throat> Blessed are those who hear the word of God and observe it. And as the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is a wicked, gener a wicked generation. It seeks for a sign. You see what he just did? See what he just did? He said, I'm, Now I'm going to double back. What they asked for at the very beginning. They said, Give us a sign. He said, By the way, let, let's get back to that sign thing. All right? Let's talk about that in just a minute. So he says, you know, considering a sign, it's, it's a wicked generation that seeks for a sign, so you're not going to get a sign except for the sign of Jonah. For just as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so shall the Son of Man be to this generation. You know the story of Jonah. Jonah was Old Testament character. God called him, he came to Jonah, he said, Jonah... I'm going to go destroy the Ninevites because of their sin. I want you to go tell them. And Jonah said, I am not going to do that. And God said, yes, you are. Said, no, I'm not. Yes, you are. No, I'm not. Don't want to do it. Not going to do it. And so I love the way the scripture says. It says, so Jonas got on a ship. He boarded a ship to depart from God. In other words, Nineveh's over here. Jonah's here on a ship going that way. He said, I'm going to get as far away from God as I can. <laughs> you know. What, what boat's going the farther? So he gets on that boat, and the boat's going along. And some, if, if you don't know the story, real quick, this, the seas become tempestuous, and the waves are coming on, and the boat's going to sink, and the crew, are, they're just throwing everything off, trying to lighten the boat. And finally, Joseph come, I mean, uh, Jonah comes up, and he says, Hey, guys, look, I'm the problem. Throw me over, and everything will be fine. They said, Well, we're not going to do that. No, go, trust me. Throw me over. So they said, okay, throw Joan over, and then it says a, a great fish. We often call it a whale, but some big fish comes up and shoop, swoops Joan in his mouth. You know where that fish was going? Nineveh. He's on his way to Nineveh. Can you believe that? Finger of God. That fish is on his way to Nineveh, so he gets up to Nineveh, and I can just see him going up on the beach and just what, flopping up on the beach. You know, he's got his chin resting on the beach. He goes, Bleh. <laughs> out comes Jonah. Now it says he's been in there three days. What, what in the world must he have looked like? You know, think of all the other stuff in that big fish belly. Seaweed and stomach acids probably working on him. I can just see two dudes walking down the beach. Whoa, look at that big old fish out there just popped up on the sand. He's opening his mouth. 
holy moly what just came out that looks like a guy <laughs> that's a creepy looking thing i can see them running back to Nineveh, and they said you ain't gonna believe this we're down on the beach this fish comes up opens his mouth spits out this guy he's got seaweed hanging all over him he's ashen white his hair's falling out i mean oh my gosh you ain't gonna believe this and then jonah shows up jonah shows up in the town that's the guy what must he have looked like can you get that picture and Jonah walks in, where am I? Nineveh? <laughs> Nineveh. Well, let me tell you something, Nineveh. God is going to destroy you for all your wickedness. Now, put yourself in their place. Dude spit out of a fish on the beach, walks into your town, and says God's going to destroy you. You going to believe him? We got two choices. Either he's telling the truth or he's telling a lie. I'm going with the truth. <laughs> Please tell God not to destroy us. You know what? They repented of their sins, sackcloth and ashes, making sacrifices, sorrowful. And it says God relented and didn't destroy Nineveh. But do you remember Jonah's reaction? Yeah. yeah. Mad. He didn't rejoice. He said, I knew you would do that. That's why I didn't want to come in the first place. I knew it was a wasted trip. Look at that. Well, guess what? Should have went in the first place. Had a choice. Now, I don't know. How many times has God said, Bob, I want you to go someplace. And ah, not today. Maybe I'll go next week. Nope, need you to go today. I don't want to go today. Got other things. Has God, God ever talked to you that way? I'm not saying you heard an audible voice, but you just really sense God wanted you to do something. Got a choice. Life's full of choices. When God speaks, there must be a faithful response. And don't be surprised when you're unfaithful. Here comes that fish. God will get you where he wants you to be. And he uses us. There must be a faithful response. Back in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, Jesus says that <clears throat> blessed are those who hear the word and act upon it. For they will be like those who built their houses on firm foundations and the winds and the storms came and blew against them and they could not be shaken. Blessed are those who hear the word and respond to the word. It must be faithful. It must be responsive. And that leads us to our final point. There must be evidence of our choosing. Verse 33. No one, after lighting a lamp puts it away in a cellar, nor under a peck measure, a basket, but on the lampstand, in order that those who enter may see the light. It's a beautiful picture. In the homes of Jesus' day, they had this very tiny little lamp, or this light, and in order to 
illuminate the room, you'd put the lampstand in the very center to provide the most light for the room. And so they understood exactly what he was talking about. You, you want to be able to see. You want others to be able to see. So you put it in the optimal place in the room so that the most people get the benefit of the light. You see that picture? It would be foolish to put it under a bed. But you know what? That's a choice, isn't it? You could choose to put it under the bed. You could choose to put it under a basket. Doesn't seem like a very good choice. And guess what? It would still be putting light out. Be of no benefit. But there would be light coming out of it. You get the point here? It's in our actions, the words that we speak, that men know what's in our heart. And they know that we have believed that this is the finger of God that has come upon us. This is the kingdom of God that is here. And we proclaim that kingdom, not the one that yet awaits us, the kingdom that is here and now. And we proclaim it so that others might make the same choice that we made and choose relationship. Is your light shining? Is it on the lampstand? Or is it neatly tucked away under the bed? And every once in a while you say, I think I'll get the light out and put it in the center of the room for a minute. Are we moving toward consistency? Listen, don't in any way think I'm preaching perfection. I'm not. Because I am an imperfect person who is made perfect in Christ. And I understand that. But all of us should be moving toward living perfect lives. Even though we may fall short, that should be our goal, is to live the life that God would have us to live so that we can give evidence of his work. <clears throat> Let me close with this. Something to think about. When it comes to serving Jesus, everyone makes a choice. Even not choosing is a choice. If you're, if you're not choosing Jesus, you have by default chosen the other guy. It might be the devil, or it might be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. So who will you choose? Who will I choose? If someone who observed your life, my life, were to be asked who they think we are serving, what would the answer be? If some third party just went up to another person and said, hey, who do you think Bob serves? What would that person's answer be? You see, there must be evidence. And that evidence hopefully points to where they'd say, I think he serves that Jesus person. Seems to. Who would they say? The tomb is empty. It is evidence of the finger of God. 
who will you choose this day and tomorrow and the days after? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have availed yourself of us, that we may call upon your power, your authority, your grace, and your mercy, and that we might have hope that is an everlasting hope. I pray for myself and every believer in this room that you would fashion in us a renewed commitment to show who you are, to show who we have chosen, and that we would give clear evidence of that each day. And I ask these things in the most powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Maybe here you've heard the word, and you're saying, "I've got to, I've got to make a decision. I've got to do something." Maybe you're saying, "I'm broken. I need to be mended. I'm wounded. I need to be healed." You know, he talked about the evidence. The evidence comes after. In other words, you don't have to do anything to get to the point to where Jesus, where, where God's going to accept you. You can come to him just as you are. And that's what this song is I want us to close out with today. It's just as I am, but it says, I've come broken to be mended. I come wounded to be healed. I come desperate to be rescued. I come empty to be filled. I come guilty to be pardoned by the blood of Christ the Lamb. And I'm welcomed with open arms. Praise God, just as I am. And that's what the song is. Let's all stand as we close out, please.
Hope if you've been here today, you needed to pray that prayer right now just as I am. I'd invite you to come up to the front here, you know, after the service. I'll be up here. Bob will be up here. Kevin will be up here. Uh, any of us will be up here. We'd be glad to, to sit down with you and talk with you. Thank you, Bob, for bringing that message. I think it's very convicting to us. And uh, we need to think about that, every single one of us that are here today. Also would uh, uh, tell you that we need to be continue to pray for Pastor Thad. He's making some headway, but it's going to be a little slower than, than it was. He was hoping to be back next week. Uh, and, he, and he may show up here, but he won't be able to be in the pulpit yet. Uh, he still can't hardly talk and everything because they got a big scar right here. But, uh, but anyway, but just continue to pray for him. And it's good to see Bill Knotts back. Uh, Bill's really had a, a real hard time with COVID, and uh, he's still struggling a little bit, but he's here. And just pray for him. It's a little slow go, but he's going to be okay in a little while. So y'all continue to pray for Bill and those others as well. But anyway, uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord today. Amen? Amen. And so uh, let's just make a, have a good week, and you are dismissed. <laughs>